Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. So today's topic is default judgments in family court. So let's back up. How do you even get to this thing called default judgment? What does it even mean? And what are the implications for people after they've either gotten it or suffered it? And so we're going to talk about all of those things today. But let's start with just the word default judgment. Well, everybody knows what a judgment is. A judgment is when a judge makes a decision and grants an order. An order then gets enforced against people or for people. But default judgment is where the other side did not participate. And as a result of somebody going to court and asking for an order and the other side not even acknowledging the claim, not defending the claim, or if they did defend the claim, maybe because they breached some orders, a judge struck their defense and now treats them as though they are not involved in the case anymore. The most common, of course, is when people just never defended a claim that was made. And the reason that it's called a default is because the person who makes the application won by default. No different than in sports. If one team shows up and the other team does not, they win by default. And that is what default judgment is. In family court, we have fancier language for that. For that. It's called a uncontested order. And uh, we didn't want to name that for today's IG Live because some people might confuse the word uncontested order with uncontested divorce, which has its own meaning. Um, many times people get an uncontested divorce where both sides want the divorce and the uh, one side who uh, starts it serves it on the other side and they just don't defend it because they want the divorce and so they get an uncontested divorce. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about default judgment and uncontested orders where the orders are for things like parenting, support, and property division. And so that's what we are talking about today. And I know you, Leanne, recently have had a case that involved the default judgment. And just to help our viewers understand, um, how did this client of yours even suffer default judgment? What were the circumstances surrounding it? And uh, please share. Yes. So um, I have a client who came to me um, after he'd already been noted in default, because certainly if he had retained me before that point, um, I think that that outcome would not have happened. Um, but uh, in any event, he had been served with an application. He was involved in a mediation, actually, initially. Um, and he wasn't agree. He was representing himself, wasn't really agreeing to what um, his former partner had wanted. She had counsel. So they went ahead and they served, had an application issue and served him with an application. And, you know, for anyone who's listening who uh, happens to have been served with an application in family law, they'll know that uh, on the application it says that they have 30 days to you know, serve and file their materials uh, in response to the application. So he re received an application that said that, but he 
did not respond in the 30 days for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, sometimes people don't respond because they don't understand the, the importance of it. Sometimes they're going through their own personal stuff. So, you know, one sort of a coping strategy some people have is to avoid and ignore things and, and whatnot. So he didn't respond. And um, he then got- And just so you're clear with, the, with, our, with our viewers, what does he did not respond mean? In other words, what was he supposed to do to respond? Well, he, what, he, what he should have done um, was he should have filed, served and filed an answer responding to uh, everything that's set out in the application, the claims and, and the outline of the, the facts. Um, and he should have had uh, a financial statement prepared at the form 13.1. And so he should have had both the financial statement and the answer served on his ex-wife's lawyer um, or on his ex-wife um, and uh, then filed with the court. And he should have done that within 30 days of being served himself. So he didn't do that. So um, the his ex-wife's lawyer, uh, filed the necessary paperwork with court to get a court date and then have him noted in default. And he received a copy of the court's endorsement, noting him in default. And that's how he then realized that he um, you know, was in default. And a friend of his at that time said, well, you, you, know, you really need to get a lawyer and referred him to me because I had been a client uh, he had been a client of mine. So he came to me and when he was noted in default, now this isn't something that necessarily always happens, but sometimes it does and it did in this case, the judge who noted him in default specified in her, her endorsement that if he was to do A, B and C before a certain date, then um, the matter, you know, he would no longer be noted in default and the matter would proceed to the next stage, which would be a case conference. But she said that if he does not do A, B and C by that date, then there will be an uncontested hearing at that time. So basically with him, he didn't respond, which is the common way people are noted in default. Um, sometimes people just never respond at all. They don't even go and get a lawyer after the fact, but in his case, he, he did um, and, you know, left me with the situation of trying to fix it after he'd been noted in default. Right. So um, just like you said, Leanne, the, uh, the whole process leading to a default judgment has to start with somebody starting a court application and they fill out the forms, they fill out the application, oftentimes the financial statement and the parenting affidavit. Those get served on the respondent and that's why they're called the respondent because their job is to respond. And it says right on the front page, in, in big black letters, bold print, if you fail to deliver an answer to this court proceeding within 30 days of you being served, then the court may grant judgment in your absence. Now remember, the court could only grant judgment even if it's a default situation for anything that's been claimed in the application. I've had cases in the past where somebody reads an application and says i'm okay with that for example somebody applies for parenting or what used to be called custody of the child and they didn't want custody of the child and they're okay with there not being any claim for access so it went through or the person actually applies for child support based on a fixed income and a certain monthly sum and they're good with it why spend the money defending it if they're going to be paying that anyway
But oftentimes the word default judgment does not apply to somebody that made the deliberate intention to not defend it. Typically applies to the situation where someone through some act of some mistake, um, some um, mishap, in some cases due to absence or illness or misunderstanding, ultimately suffered default judgment. And the courts have been so inundated with claims for default judgment that they have established back in the original 1999 family law rules, a particular form. It's actually uh, form 23C called the affidavit for uncontested trial. Go figure, it's that popular. So if you fill out an affidavit for uncontested trial, you have to file in court two things. Um, one, the affidavit of service to show that you actually served this person more than 30 days ago. And two, the affidavit for uncontested trial where you list all of the evidence that you want the judge to make in favor of your uncontested order, your default judgment. And that's where you list the reasons why you want a particular parenting schedule or child support or property division. And over the last 30 years, I've seen so many different levels of default judgments. I've had some where a judge says, okay, fine, so she or he didn't defend the case, but I'm not going to grant you that or this or the other thing. In some cases, the judges will say, I'm going to grant you this, but I'm not going to grant you that. I want you to serve the person again. Or you don't have enough evidence to convince me that this person earns that kind of income, so I'm going to order a lower income. So just because a person doesn't defend a case doesn't necessarily mean ipso facto that the judge will grant whatever it is that the applicant wants. But do you really want to take that chance? Do you know which judge you're going to get? And in some cases, you end up with a really terrible decision. And the courts of appeal have not been particularly friendly about the reversal of uncontested orders. Now, having said that, if you have an uncontested order, you don't necessarily need to run off to the court of appeal. You could certainly bring a motion as quickly as you learned of it before the very court that made the order and say, look, here are my reasons for why I did not know to defend the case. Maybe I didn't get served or I got served, but I got served at the old address. I didn't get it at the new address until it came to be there. Or I had a lawyer and it was served on a lawyer, but my lawyer didn't tell me about it because my lawyer was on vacation. So there's a whole bunch of possible explanations. And there's of course health and mental illness issues, addictions, uh, incarceration. I've had cases where somebody was served while they were in jail and they couldn't get a lawyer while they're in jail and they weren't out for six months and they were really, um, they had a really good explanation for that. So whatever the explanation is, you have to have a reasonable, logical, and believable explanation. That doesn't end there. You have to be also able to present the court with a reasonable defense. What is your reasonable defense? If you don't have a reasonable defense, in other words, if you've never seen your child who's 15 years old and the other parent is claiming parenting or custody, what's your defense? There may not be a strong one to set aside a default judgment. And then lastly, the third arm of the test to set aside a default judgment is how quick were you from the time that you learned of it to bring forward a legal process to fix it? Because if you learned of it three years ago and only now you're fixing it, that's not going to work. You've got to have all three. You've got to have a good explanation. You've got to be really fast in getting to the courthouse. And you've got to have a good defense. If you've got all three, you've got a standing chance to set aside a default judgment. And what happened in your case, Leanne, was the judge that your client got um, wasn't particularly thrilled with your client and 
made orders um, that could have involved the client, but put the client in what's called a reverse onus situation. Your client was told by the judge, oh, well, because you didn't defend, I'm going to make certain orders. And unless you comply with it, you're really going down the tubes. And I, 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 I am finding more and more judges are taking cavalier action just like that. And sadly, these types of orders would not have been made 15, 20 years ago. But they're being made now because, I guess, partly because the courts are overwhelmed and one less case that has to go through all of the hoops is preferred. Two, they're holding people to account for not being responsible. And there's very little room left for accommodation. And three, at the end of the day, um, the judges say to themselves, I'm not just going to grant any order, even if there's no defense. I'm still going to look at the evidence and decide what's right. So these are some of the factors that are going on in the court system right now. And uh, it's leading to a higher number of default judgments. And from the cases that I've read from the Court of Appeal, the cases where people are trying to set aside default judgments where the lower court is not allowing it are not achieving much success um, I, I had quite a few that were at both levels lower court and court of appeal and um, oftentimes they're not successful well it's interesting because um, you know this particular client who I've been dealing with recently uh, it ended up leading to very bad consequences for him uh, that he had been noted in default and um, you know unfortunately um, it, it was in court today ironically and um, it, it was a situation where I, I had to get off the record um, actually um, which means that I had to bring a motion to the court asking the judge to agree that I was no longer going to be his lawyer um, and so that was granted today and you know so then I was excused from court and the matter proceeded without me and without him um, and you know an order was made against him that he didn't defend and I think if he had he would have ended up with a very different order and so, by the way this is he, not a situation of coincidences in other words just to recap for the benefit of our viewers this is a case where when the ex-spouse served him with an application he didn't properly address it then when he finally realized he was in hot water and he hired a lawyer and his lawyer, you, tried to help him address it, he didn't address it. And he left you without instructions. And when a lawyer has a client without instructions, the lawyer's only remedy is to get off the record. And when you did was you served it with motion materials to get off the record. In other words, an alarm bell went off saying, ding, 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 please deal with your lawyer who's trying to deal with your earlier error. And he still didn't deal with it resulting in you going to court and getting off the record. So here we're seeing a pattern of conduct which sort of explains why certain people end up in hot water. And this is not an act of, of, of any form of default by you, the lawyer, but there seems to be a consistency of behavior by the client. Yes. Um, and but I have had cases where my client was the one uh, wanting to get the other party noted in default. And I've found, um, at I've had some judges be a little more lenient with that person in terms of giving them a lot of chances uh, to turn up. I had one where the other party had 
she had health, legitimate health issues. It wasn't disputed that she had health issues, but she wasn't responding. Um, but then she tried to call the court and she, she made like some effort, although it wasn't, she didn't file an answer and things like that. And so the judge in that case was more accommodating of giving her more time because she was showing some level of effort to do something, even though it, it wasn't what she was you know, actually supposed to be doing. And then eventually she did get a lawyer and, and defended her matter. Um, I also had one where um, my client was moving to, I uh, wanted to move to Colorado. And um, so she was bringing uh, a motion to change a previous order. Um, and the father of the child um, wasn't, he was, he was having his regular parenting time. So he was in the picture but he didn't respond to our motion to change that he had been served with. And so the judge gave a couple of adjournments to see if he might respond, given that he was in the picture. It wasn't like he was completely missing in action, um, but he still didn't respond. So my client in that case did get him noted in default. She got the, uh, she had the uncontested hearing and she got the order that she wanted and was able to move to Colorado. So, you know, in the case of that father, he was exercising regular parenting time and he lost it. Um, not, not completely, but it was going to be much different with his son living in Colorado versus living in Toronto. And, you know, if he had actually stepped forward and, and he defended the, um, his, his uh, position, uh, he might have had a very different result. So it's it certainly, you know, generally not in someone's interest to not respond to these things and to not defend them and not answer. Um, as, as Steve mentioned at the beginning, there are these very limited circumstances where, you know, the claim is something that you don't have a problem with. So you're like, why would I spend the money on a lawyer and spend the time defending this if I agree? But um, certainly the, those kind of situations are few and far between. Yeah. And I'll tell you, some of the, the most difficult cases are the ones where there's default judgment involving parenting, because then the next time a judge looks at it, the judge says, well, I guess it wasn't important to you enough for you to defend this case, and now you're coming back to court, you want to change things for your parenting. So you're already starting on the wrong foot every time you try to knock on the judge's door to get some relief. Um, and more importantly, um, there is a test. If there's an uncontested order and you want to change anything in it, whether you want to change parenting or child support or spells support, you have to prove a material change in circumstances. And that's an extra layer of difficulty to be able to seek relief. And if there's an uncontested order involving property, pensions, assets, the matrimonial home, there's, there's no ability to seek a later variation of that because those are orders that are final and non-variable. So just so that we're clear, default judgments can include orders that are variable and orders that are non-variable. In the non-variable orders, like a sale of a house or the transfer of a pension, once that order is made, you're done. That's and what happened to my client today. There is an order of transfer of a pension for a much larger number than I think should have been the number, but because he didn't do anything, that's what happened. And for the ones that are variable, child support, spell support, and property and uh, parenting, those have that extra layer of having to prove a material change in circumstance to justify the court. And by the way, if 
if a judgment was made for a person to pay child support based on an income of 75,000 when their actual income was 65 and they come to court and they go, you know what, my income was never 75 then, it was 65 then and now it's 69. Um, a court might say, you know what, it's not enough of a, it's not a, it's a change, but it's not a material change in circumstance. So we're not going to amend it. We're not going to change it. So, so it really is important for people, not just in family court, in every court, but if you're sued, take it seriously. Don't put it on the side and get to it later. And don't think that if you hire a lawyer on day 29, they're going to be able to meet their deadlines and get a defense in by the 30th day. It may not be enough time. That's why the courts grant 30 days. I understand that. That's an important point because I think all of us lawyers, we've been contacted by somebody who, you know, is on day 28 or 29 of their 30 days and they finally decide to speak to a lawyer uh, about the, the material they've been served with. And, you know, often it can be ch a challenge for a lawyer to try and get an, ex you know, an extension of the time. Um, and so you don't want to put a lawyer in that situation. But at uh, least so at that point in time, if you are hired on day 20 and 29, not that we're recommending it, but if you are hired on day 20 or 29, um, or even if it's not a lawyer, even if it's the, the, the person served, if they were to at least send an email or a letter to the applicant or the applicant's lawyer saying, I did get served, I have every intention of defending, I'm waiting for my legal aid certificate, or I'm waiting for monies from a, a friend to hire a lawyer, um, please don't note me in default. I should have a lawyer in the next blank days and therefore they will be responding to you shortly. And then the applicant goes ahead and notes them in default. Now you've got evidence to show that you had every intention of defending and the likelihood of setting aside the default judgment is going to be that much higher because you put that person on notice. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, you know, as they say, even in the case I had with the woman who was ill, the fact that she seemed to be, you know, she'd phoned the court, like those were signals that she was intending to defend. So um, that's why she was able to be given more time. So we have a question from one of our uh, visit, one of our viewers, um, where they write, I'm currently in a situation where I'm trying to do mediation and the other party won't even respond to that. It's really frustrating. This has been gone on from since July. So this is the interesting thing about litigation versus the other options. Leanne and I entirely support people resolving their family law issues in mediation. In fact, the vast majority of very good lawyers who care about their clients and care about their clients' children and care about the future relationship of the spouses to be able to co-parent these children years into the future, we prefer for cases to not go to court. So then the question becomes, why did you even go to court then? Answer, when someone's not responding, when someone's not cooperating, when someone is not acting reasonably, then we're left with very few options of resolving the matter out of court. And that's why people go to court. And in some cases, this is how far it's come now. Sometimes we issue the application in court just to get the person's attention in order to go to mediation. So some people think, well, I don't want to go to court. Neither do we. But if the other side is not cooperating, responding, or showing any, any evidence of an intention to resolve things, whether privately or in mediation, 
So maybe we are left only with the option of serving them an application and forcing them into a situation where if they don't defend in 30 days, then we get judgment. But if they show up and they want to deal with it, we're happy to book a mediation date and postpone the delivery of the answer. And now that we've got their attention, we'll go to mediation, we'll solve the case. Yeah, that's a common enough problem that comes up. I've, I've had countless situations where the other party, what they, maybe they're in mediation and they're dragging their feet or they're, we're not in mediation, but we're just trying to get them to get a lawyer or complete a financial statement. And the, party, the other party is not doing anything. And so we have to commence an application just to get some accountability on them because the court is going to enforce deadlines and there's going to be uh, accountability. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate that a client, when a client has to spend the additional cost of bringing an application when you know that ultimately it's going to, you know, resolve and it shouldn't have had to be an application but it becomes necessary in, in those types of situations. And it's not just the word application. It's very tricky because when we lawyers prepare applications, it includes not only the claims, but the reasons for the claims and what happens. And this is the part that I have to apologize to the public for. The person who is applying for those uh, items oftentimes will tell their story. Sometimes their story, at least in their mind, is not well received by the other side. And if they have to commence an application to get their attention, oftentimes the attention that they're getting is not good attention because what they're getting is the other side reading all of these allegations being made against them, which makes it even more difficult to go to mediation and settle the case because the very first thing that they've read, after of course they've maybe dragged their feet for some time, are a whole host of allegations about their misconduct. And so now, bad begets bad because one person says something bad about one the other one wants to say something bad about the other one and before you know it the opportunity to settle amicably cheaply and quickly in mediation has now dissolved yeah no exactly it's just a, it's a really unfortunate direction that a file sometimes goes in um and it happens often enough unfortunately absolutely well, we hope we were able to answer your question, viewer, and uh, we look forward to you all next week. Thank you very much for participating in today's uh, Divorce Explained. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.